Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Monkeypox cases continue to rise here in California. Earlier this week, Governor Gavin Newsom declared a state of emergency when it comes to the outbreak. And now federal health officials are considering breaking single doses of monkeypox vaccine into smaller doses to stretch the current supply. KPCC senior health reporter Jackie Fortier has the details. With U.S. monkeypox cases rising by about 1,000 a week, demand for vaccines exceeds supply. To stretch the limited doses, the Food and Drug Administration may allow health care providers to split a one-dose vial of the monkeypox vaccine into five doses. A smaller-than-normal needle would deposit the vaccine under the top layer of skin. Previous studies have shown lower doses of vaccines can be administered this way and still be effective, FDA officials said. Patients would still need two shots about a month apart, but doing so could allow five times as many people to be vaccinated with existing supplies. In L.A. County, there's a wait list of select high-risk people in line for the 19,000 doses public health received this week. The FDA will decide on the proposed dose change in the coming days. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Let's turn to another threat to public health. Health officials in Napa County are investigating one of the largest outbreaks of Legionnaire's disease in recent years. One person has died after contracting the disease, and another 11 in the county have been sickened. Three of those 11 others remain hospitalized. Napa County Public Health Officer Karen Relucho says her personnel believe they've located the source of the disease-causing bacteria. Samples taken from a rooftop cooling tower preliminarily identified high levels of Legionella bacteria at Embassy Suites Napa Valley. This cooling tower has been taken offline, which mitigates any ongoing risk to public health. Relucio says they're still investigating whether there may be other contaminated water sources in the area. Legionnaire's disease is waterborne and can spread in aerosols for up to a mile from a contaminated water source. California is offering $20,000 stipends to recruit and train more mental health clinicians to work in the state's public schools. The program is a response to the student mental health crisis. KQED's Julia McAvoy reports. Bridges Academy at Melrose Elementary School in East Oakland has just one therapist for 400 students, and that therapist, Yesibel Inga, can only carry an active caseload of 15 students. But Inga says a quarter of the students at her school are newly arrived immigrants who have experienced trauma. If we were to set up kids with uh, therapy support, like preventative, you know, 
we wouldn't have fifth graders that have suicidal ideation. The state wants to get 10,000 more clinicians like Inga into schools and now has extra state budget dollars to try and make it happen, says State Superintendent Tony Thurmond. We are hearing, like you are, anecdotal reports of long waiting lists as families try to connect with counselors, psychologists, uh, pediatricians and others to support their children. So we know that the need is great and we know that 10,000 would be a significant increase. The biggest problem may be a shortage of practitioners, especially people of color. Thurman says there will be outreach to candidates of color. The Golden State Teacher Grant Program will expand to offer graduate students working towards becoming clinicians $20,000 grants. And teacher residency programs will expand to include school counselors. For the California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randadid Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. A bill that provides some protections for immigrants in court is heading to Governor Gavin Newsom's desk after it was approved unanimously in the state assembly yesterday. KQED's immigration editor, Taiki Hendricks, has more. State Senator Scott Weiner's measure was first enacted in 2017 when immigration agents under then-President Donald Trump were picking up undocumented people at courthouses to deport them. The law said if an attorney wants to ask a witness about their immigration status in court, the judge must first decide if it's relevant to the case. But that law was temporary and expired late last year. This bill would make it permanent. Weiner says that benefits public safety for everyone. It's in all of our interests to make sure that people feel safe going to court to testify. The last thing we need is victims or witnesses refusing to show up. The bill passed with strong bipartisan support. Weiner, who's a Democrat, says that shows Californians understand that immigrants are integral to the state, even when Republicans in some other places are campaigning on the notion that immigrants are a threat. For The California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. Voters in San Bernardino County will have the chance to vote in November on whether the county could potentially secede from California. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has more. The San Bernardino County Board of Supervisors voted unanimously this week to put a measure on the November ballot that would ask voters a question. Do they want to spend taxpayer dollars to study all options? in figuring out whether the county is getting a fair share of funds from both the state and federal government, which would include the possibility of secession. 
While the vote was unanimous to put the proposal before voters, Supervisor Joe Baca Jr. expressed concerns about the idea. I am not in favor of succession. You know, I just don't believe that we have the resources or wherewithal, the staff or ability to create our own um, state. Baca Jr. did say that he's in favor of studying all options when it comes to figuring out if San Bernardino County is getting its fair share of funding from the state and federal government. Supervisor Don Rowe floated another idea, the possibility of San Bernardino County potentially joining either Arizona or Nevada. But she also expressed concerns about what any of this would mean in terms of additional cost for the county. The secession proposal was initially brought to the board last month by a local real estate developer. Even if the measure is approved by voters in November, it would face serious roadblocks, as secession would have to be approved by the state legislature and Congress. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. A Fresno high school has issued an apology for painting over a student mural completed for the campus. As KVPR Sarith Hawk reports, artists are wondering just what happened and the message it sends to the arts community. The mural was titled Rise Together, and it featured a bright, colorful background and a silhouette of trees. It had just been completed in July as part of a youth summer mural project and was up for about a week and a half before it was erased at McLean High School. I was just blown away, honestly. I'm still kind of blown away. That's program director Jason Esquivel, who happened to drive past the campus one morning when he noticed a blank wall. I didn't go out that way, and if I drive by there, they're like, I would have never known. No one ever called me. The school's principal called him to apologize the next morning, but the district wouldn't say why it was taken down. Fresno Unified School Board trustee Veva Isla said it was a, quote, huge mistake. I think that mistake inadvertently or directly uh, has really sent a negative message to the artistic community and to students, right, about the importance of their work and their art. The school invited the artists back to paint another mural on campus, but the artists have declined the offer so far. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk in Fresno. It seems like a story straight out of a dystopian science fiction novel. The United States is a country ravaged by both economic and environmental catastrophes, forcing countless desperate Americans to hit the road in search of a better life somewhere else. Many strike out for California, but some powerful people in the state are actively trying to keep the migrants out by setting up border checkpoints. This isn't fiction, though. All of this really happened in the 1930s, and it's chronicled in writer Bill Lasher's new book, The Golden Fortress, California's Border War on Dust Bowl Refugees. And Bill Lasher joins us now. Hey, Bill. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me. So, Bill, remind us why people were trying to come to California in the first place in the 1930s. Well, of course, the Great Depression began sort of officially with the stock market crash of 1929, and that led, leads to you know foreclosures and layoffs and farms that are decimated when that stuff combines with this environmental crisis of overworked farms that causes the Dust Bowl. At the same time, one of the early responses to the Depression is this deportation drive that targets mostly Mexican-Americans and Mexican immigrants who are working on the farms in places like California. And farmers in California are replacing them with cheaper labor from displaced people from Oklahoma and Arkansas and other parts of the country. So they're coming here because they need work. There's abundant agriculture that's year-round. 
but it's a very hard scrabble existence. So if California needed the labor, why were at least some actively trying to keep these migrants out? Well, there had been this decades-long effort to burnish the image of California, and particularly Los Angeles, through groups like the All Year Club of Los Angeles and other organizations, the Chamber of Commerce locally, to make it look like an attractive place to people with means. And they didn't like what came along with migration. They didn't like the camps and the squalor and the perceived crime that went with it, the idea that poor people would bring crime and pestilence to California. I mean, right in those very words in the coverage that would cover this blockade is that there is this wave of crime and disease pouring over the borders of California every day, and it was costing the state of California in relief and police and other things of that sort. The city of Los Angeles, and in particular the LAPD, were really central in setting up this blockade, and you had LAPD officers setting up roadblocks hundreds of miles away from the city of Los Angeles, between Oregon and California, between Nevada and Arizona and California, trying to stop people from coming into the state if they felt they didn't have enough money or resources. Why was the city of L.A. so central to all of this? Well, I would say there are a couple of reasons. A big piece of it was hubris. Los Angeles was, by that point, California's largest city, and it was continuing to grow. It felt powerful. The governor of California, Frank Miriam, was from just over, you know, just in Los Angeles County in Long Beach. They had a lot of power in the state, and the business community, the Chamber of Commerce, was influential. But also, Chief James Davis, the chief of police of L.A., who set up this blockade, was obsessively reactionary, and he believed that He saw himself as above the law when it came to enforcing the law. He saw himself as beyond reproach when it came to limiting disorder and subversion and all the threats that were allegedly coming into the state from migration and relief seekers and other aspects of the New Deal. So they acted and then waited for a response rather than waiting for a response and then acting. All right, that is Bill Lasher. He's the author of The Golden Fortress, California's Border War on Dust Bowl Refugees. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me, Saul. And finally, the Los Angeles Dodgers will pay tribute to longtime broadcaster Vin Scully before tonight's game at Dodger Stadium. It's the team's first home game since Scully died at the age of 94 earlier this week. The Dodgers say there will also be opportunities for fans to pay respect to Scully throughout the stadium. And that is the California Report for Friday, August 5th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Daphne Young and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editors are Angela Corral and Holly J. McDeed. Our interim director of news is Ki Sung. Our executive editors, Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day and weekend. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare. Alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area, now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. 
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.